Welcome to The Disenfranchised, helping you to find a career path away from employment by exploring the franchise community. My name's Ed Pennell, and I'll be speaking with the entrepreneurs, experts, and leaders from across the franchise community, discovering their life stories and hearing their tips for success away from the typical nine to five grind. On this episode, I'm proud to be speaking to the down-to-earth and straight-talking Ryan Armitage, director of Teslom, a healthcare recruitment company. We find out the story behind the name Teslom and why that brand is so close to Ryan's heart in this episode. And just a quick little warning to to everybody, um, this conversation does get quite emotional at times and does go quite deep um, with one particular story quite hard-hitting in all honesty and I'm very proud and honoured that Ryan shared the story with me. Now Teslam is certainly a a business that's got family in its DNA and caring for others and I think as you listen through to this this conversation you'll find out the reasons why but um, towards the end we do go through into some some more light-hearted stuff and um, find out some really interesting things about opportunities in franchising for young people. So I'm sure you'll find this one interesting and here it goes. So Ryan, welcome to The Disenfranchised. How are you doing today? I'm all right, mate. I'm good. I'm getting there. It's Wednesday and it's all home day. Yeah, so we're all right, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I thought you said pub day and I was like, isn't it everyday pub day? <laughs> Hump day, you're right. Yeah, we're nearly there. <laughs> Although I guess in the life of an entrepreneur, there is no hump day, right? It's uh, yeah. Yeah. every day is a work day. So um, anyway, um, how are things at the moment? Are you busy? Are you doing well? Yeah, we, we are doing well. We're always busy because you're always trying to, you know, adapt to new situations, aren't you? So you, yeah, we are. We are busy. Um, we're doing so. Like I said, we're doing some chunky work in around infrastructure of the franchise and how that's going to help develop the franchisees and their employees um, so that's quite nice chunky work we've been doing some discovery days we've just done a lot of marketing so that's brought quite a few leads in so then that brings discovery days and um, so that, that yeah we're busy in that respect and then the agency itself which we supply staff to that's busy we've got some you know and we're doing some changes in the office to help with the recruitment process of agency workers to be a bit quicker yeah yeah sounds like it so definitely a busy time for you but um have you been taking advantage of the the kind of uh covid restrictions being being lifted and and going to the pubs have you found time for that or Um, i'm i'm booked in this weekend to go with a friend to the pub um with his missus and my missus um which is the cherry tree in bolton which is an absolutely amazing restaurant by the way um, but yeah, we're going. We're going there on Saturday, so I'm looking forward to that. Fantastic. Uh, well, cool. Well, let's get the uh, the kind of uh, questions going and the podcast started by uh, finding out what your first job is. Then, uh, I think everyone did the paperboy, but that my real proper job was um, selling cars in the car shop Manchester, Middleton. So wow. that's what I did when I first left college. I went and sold cars in a big car supermarket in Manchester. Yeah. Fantastic. So you left college knowing that was what you wanted to do or what was what kind of led you well, into that? College wasn't great for me. Education was, I hated school, like with a passion to be honest with you, just because of the people who went there and I didn't really have any respect for any teachers. I, wasn't, I don't think I had the patience. I think schools are much different nowadays. Um, but back when I was at school, when I left 98, I wasn't asked at all, interested in learning. I, didn't just, I couldn't capture my imagination. I went to college and around about then computers were quite big weren't they so the it was yeah. like everyone was like go and do business studies and it i managed to get my second qualification in that and then i just chipped college off because I was, again it wasn't for me but what i was doing i was working at toy so actually toys of us was my first proper job because i was working at toys was it's manchester road in bolton college and um the behind there there's a toys of us it's not there anymore um, but yeah, I worked there and I was selling on the multimedia department, selling PCs, doing IT. But I sold quite a lot of PCs, if I remember rightly. I, I probably sold the most amount at one point the group ever did. Um, and um, I remember talking to his dad saying, I hate college, don't want to do this anymore. And he was like, why are you going to sell cars? Because he used to sell cars. In fact, my dad and this gentleman called Greg Rigby um, 
sort of brought over the 10 step sales process from the US back in the 60s or 70s, I think, or the 80s, 80s maybe. Um, yeah, 80s. Um, and, and so he knew loads of people in the car game because he was notorious for training car salesmen. Um, so he, he, he got in touch with an old friend and got me a job. And I started there when I think I was 18 or 19 or something like that. Fantastic. Well, first yeah. of all, Toys R Us, that was my favorite place to go as a kid. It's just yeah, like yeah. a dream, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It was, it was like that when you worked there as well, because you could always uh, un unwrap a PlayStation 2 game if you wanted to or whatever and have a little go in it, you know what I mean, and seal it back up again and stuff like that. So, yeah. Oh, wow. Why did you ever leave there? <laughs> <laughs> people don't. People used to work there for years. Like, it was a sick place to work. I'm not going to lie to you. I enjoyed it. It was a good place yeah. to work. Sounds awesome. But then you, obviously you moved into to selling cars. So how did you find that? Was it something that you enjoyed doing? Yeah, I think that's where I grew up. You know, I mean, immediately realized that you can earn quite good money um, and the structure, you know, like I think any anyone who's left in that sort of world of not knowing what they're doing and haven't got a really good work ethic and can't get up in the morning and things like that, car game absolutely batters it into you. So like I'm an hour early for every meeting that I ever go to, an hour early for work every day. I always presentable, you know, it might be dressed casual, but everything's clean and tidy and no stains on it and stuff like that. You know, I think appearance is a big thing in selling. So that was drilled into me and professionalism and then dealing with big numbers, you know, selling cars from 5,000 pounds, 150,000 pounds, you know, dealing with fan, fan uh, finance agreements and dealing with customers complaints and, getting repeat customers and have a good diary and then, you know, going up through to the management in car sales. So it taught me a lot, I think. I, I really rate the car industry. I really like it. I don't know what it's like now. Like I say, I've been in it for 12 years, but at the time it was mega. And obviously the banter is ridiculous. Yeah. Because you're just dealing with loads of lads. So you, you get a thick skin quick like that. You know, that's one thing I did learn and which I've still got is, a, you know, the banter is ridiculous. You know, you've got to be able to take sarcasm. If you can't do it, you'll just crumble. But it makes you it gets, makes you go up with. Yeah, I I I know it's um similar to kind of quite a few industries I've I've come across in the past. You know, recruitment being one where you you got to learn quick. Uh, you know, the business world. Um, but I, I actually started out as a as a labourer for a marquee company myself, and yeah, mm -hmm. it's it's a <laughs> it's constant banter in that kind of environment because that's what actually kind of just drives you on to to do better, work harder, doesn't it? You know, yeah. um. Yeah. Especially for for what I was doing, it was quite repetitive. So I think you'd go you'd go insane if yeah, not. you want to. Have a, I think I I I hate that professional sort of corporate sitting in an office in silence, tapping away on keyboards. Like I, I I physically can't act like that. I just can't. And if people try and do with me, it doesn't. I just it doesn't work. I don't like it. Um, some people it's their goal to win it, you see, but for not for not for me. It's, uh, yeah, yeah. I can't understand so um so it's given you kind of like um a bit of a a kind of backbone to kind of business experience and and knowing how to operate in that kind of world so how did you get from there to being a a, a business owner then so you you started your your yeah, education so and recruitment I moved, company. Moved around the garages i actually quit car game at one point and went to be learned to be a joiner and that's a different story i actually did the qualification and then went straight back into joining it the day that I qualified i quit and went back into the car industry but I had a bit of a break when in the 20s for a little bit, um, learned a bit about joining me. And that just taught me the value of money, if anything, because yeah. going from earning really good money is absolutely nothing being an apprentice. But I had a little taste of it then because I set up a business while I was doing it and I was taking massive jobs on, but I was still trained to be an apprentice in joining me. But when it really happened was um, when I was working at Honda, um, my surrogate auntie, so friend of the family, she worked for a, a big uh, recruitment company. And um, Ramstad bought them out, and I think she'd been there quite a long time. Okay. And didn't fit, fit, fit them all to a certain degree. And she ended up leaving there. And she approached my dad and said, Would you lend me some money to invest and create an education recruitment agency? Because it was the education sector which she did. And I got wind of this while I was at home one day and said, I'm in. Do you know what I mean? Like, I've been obviously worked for franchises because of the car industry. So I knew what a franchise was. Mum and dad have been in franchising for years and years and years. So I understood what franchising was and I wanted to work myself because mum and dad had businesses themselves for years and years and years. So um, I said to dad, can I come on board? So I bought myself an old banger, 
I've got an office above a cafe in Leyland, me and Sue. Sue covered Lancashire, I covered Greater Manchester. Uh, we did about 300,000, I think, in our first year, or I did, because we had two separate limited companies trading the same name, a bit like a franchise. And then we sold our first franchise. Wow. And uh, so, that's, that's, that's how I got into it. So why did the education recruitment appeal to you? Because that's... It didn't, it didn't appeal to me. It, the franchising appealed to me, because the idea was to franchise it. But I knew that my auntie Sue, because I got all the house like a house on fire, she'd teach me everything about recruitment, which we did. So she she was um, she taught me everything. She'd been in it for years, twenty years. So she taught me everything about teachers, you know, all the different levels and qualifications. Taught me how to do uh, the interviews. Taught me about all the compliance process. Um, obviously, I had an idea of how sales processes went, but it was a slightly different one. Where car sales is literally shake someone's hand, do the deal, and you look after them remotely where recruitment's creating a relationship with the client and looking after that client forever. Um, so that's that's what it was. Actually, you do a bit of both. We did a bit of firms and a bit of temp. Um, with teachers, it's like a day rate. So it's like a going yeah. for a day or they'll go for a three-month period or cover a, a term. So I was doing that and then also doing some firms and then doing some ad hoc teaching assistant support work stuff as well. Cool. So, so and then was, was what, it science and maths back then that was still the the difficult yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. my, my was, wife was an male education PE teachers were the one male PE teachers you get all of one of them they were like gold dust oh really um, yeah that, that was the one back, back then but yeah but what happened was um mum and dad had you know a nursing agency at the same time called 24 7 professional health so they were running that parallel well, they'd run it a couple a year before I'd started, or a couple of years before I started. Um, and I started supplying special needs schools, so to speak, um, if that's the right terminology, with teaching assistants who do what they call learner support assistants. So they do a bit of personal care for a bit of a care plan, but also support the kids in a classroom environment. So it was a bit of a crossover and I was asking more about this because she was teaching me about that because she did support workers, nurses and carers. So I was learning about that at the same time because I was basically getting into the care industry via education because you end up residential schools with these children who should stay at, you know, um, while they went to school. So I learned quite a lot about that at the time and then I ended up quite, the client that I've got ended up helping me and paying for me to go on some courses actually. The client wanted me to work with them so well, they actually put me on some Ofsted courses. It was quite cool of them to do that. Um, so I learned quite a lot about that at the time. Yeah, and that, that, that's how I got into it. And that's my story up to that point now. Yeah, fantastic. So um, I take it you enjoyed recruitment then? You're still in the industry, aren't you? Yeah, right? yeah. So was it similar to the car industry? I mean, in no, terms of the, the buzz? Or? Yeah, it's not, it's not similar to the car industry at all. Um, I mean, there is a pause, and I do have banter with the people that I work in my office with, but I think that's just because we're all male, about the same age. But yeah, the car industry is ruthless compared to the recruitment industry. It's, it takes up 10 stop, you know, not just like, you know, recruitment, you know, people get upset if you ring them before and after work and at the weekends and stuff. And car game, if you don't answer your phone on your day off, you lose your job. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's a different ball game. Different, yeah. You know, that, that's it. You know, if you if you you're not in and your customer comes in, you lose the deal. You know what I mean? It's it's in, interesting you say that because I think the people in recruitment that that do the best or do really well are the ones that are working outside of those hours, right? Yeah. So that so I think if you need to, if you earn, some people really disagree with this, but it's natural if you're going to earn over thirty thousand pound a year, you have to work more than forty hours a week. I'm sorry, that that is the case. Like, I wish it wasn't, but it is. Yeah. Like, that, that is the case. You have to answer your phone out of hours work and stuff. It just, that's the way it is, unfortunately. That's my view on it anyway. People can dis disagree with me, and I'm cool with that, but that's my view on it. I think that the salary banding should be maybe a bit lower than that, lower than thirty if you to work more hours, especially if if you're in a sales environment, because um, you know if people don't hear back from a company, you know, within the next hour or two, or even for the next four hours. You know, yeah. you've, you've kind of lost them, haven't you? You know, yeah. so I, I guess your experience within that car industry then really set you up well to be a successful recruiter because yeah. 300,000 300, in the first year, that's um, that's pretty good going, right? Um, I don't know. I don't know. The thing is, I don't know anyone in recruitment. I could literally, <laughs> I'm not interested because I've never worked at a recruitment. You know what I mean? It's not like yeah. I'm 
gone round different agencies. I've never worked anywhere else apart from myself. I got taught by some, then worked for mum, and I've been here ever since. So I've no idea what any other recruitment industry does. I've never used any recruitment software. I've never done any sales training by anyone else. I think that's probably a good thing, mate. Yeah. <laughs> to be honest with you. <laughs> In in all honesty, in in my experience, so I started out with High Street in Reed, and you know what, they gave you a a very good structure, a very good kind of um, uh, base understanding of everything, but then it was all about the numbers, and that numbers, um, sort of how many calls have you made this week, kind of detracts away from what I think makes somebody successful, and that's to actually build a relationship with a client. Mm -hmm. If you haven't got time to build a relationship with a client because you've got to make hundred calls pointless calls you know it doesn't work out right so I think it's probably set you in good stead just having that work ethic from the the car industry and then taking that into recruitment so um yeah probably not a bad path well it's, it's working out anyway isn't it so so took took me through how you got into um 24 7 now known as as teslom and, and and tell me a bit about your time time, so time there we got we were doing education appointments that's what it was called and then my dad in, it was 2012 diagnosed with bowel cancer which is a, a, again that was a, a very tough point um I, I remember he rang me i was at work and he just rang me out of the blue one day and he, he like he just rang me and said, I've got something to tell you, old boy. I've got cancer. That's just how he answered the phone. And I was like, fuck, all right. <laughs> all right. So then learning about that, because um, you automatically think you're just going to die, which isn't the case. Um, so I had to learn about, start reading a bit about bowel cancer. And mum started taking dad to Clatterbridge for treatments. Um, so and my brother was also selling cars at the time for the same company. Uh, for the company I used to work for, sorry, I wasn't there anymore. Um, so he, mum said to him, why don't you come on board at 247, do some sales because mum needs to concentrate on dad and be taking yeah. him every day for treatment and stuff. Um, and where the, the tumour was, it was quite difficult or it was quite intricate and he ended up having a storm on my dad. I'll tell you a bit more about that in a second. So then my, my brother joined 247, started learning about recruitment, getting into the business development side of it, talking to clients and relationships with them and then mum said to me because they had about six franchises then I think um why don't you come on board and support the franchise network and learn a bit more about franchising because we had a franchise director at the time in 247 so then I joined about six months later and gave some of my shares to Sue and I brought some of the children's services over to 247 because they didn't do children's services then so I brought some of the residential services over to 247 so that's my journey. So it was September 2012. I joined 24-7. Really tough call to take that one, isn't it? You know, yeah, yeah. Um, it, it kind of, I imagine it's, it, it'll have knocked you back and, and made you kind of sit up and think, right, what, what do I do now with, with my life? So I guess transitioning into the family business kind of made sense. But what, yeah, yeah. what was it like working with your, with your family? Because... Not all families get along that well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, you know, it's, it's um, my dad's never been back in the business since, so he had multiple operations for the rest of his life. And unfortunately, my dad developed Parkinson's from the treatment and then, and then unfortunately developed d- 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 um, dementia. So he now has Parkinson's dementia. I'm actually going to see him today. So it's a third, I'm not seeing, seeing my dad since uh, New Year's Day because of COVID. He's been, yeah. he, he, at Christmas, we didn't make the decision as a family to put him into a care home. Um, it was just becoming too much of a mum. And I've got two young kids and my mum's never had them because she's always had to care for dad, as well as run the business with me. So we made the difficult decision for dad to go in a care home. Obviously, COVID, I couldn't go and see my dad. So mum's been managing to go see him. But yeah, today is the first time I'm going to see him since the year there, uh, um, which will be kind of nice. I'm kind of looking yes. forward to it. I've had a lot of anxiety about that, actually. Um, but yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing him. So I've, I've lost track of your question now, sorry. <laughs> that's okay i was just asking what it's like to to work with family um, yeah it's it, it, it's it's cool like like my mum's you know i work really close with my mum she's uh, i think a lot of people forget sometimes with my mum we, we have board meetings while we're having sunday lunch you know <laughs> we discuss everything via text or facetime when we're putting the kids to bed at night or she comes out babysitting on saturday it's you know it, we got on like a house on fire um and then 
like I said, my dad's never been back in the business and um, we move on a few years in the business and unfortunately, you know, well, you know I'll tell you a bit about Tom if you want. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, that'd be good. So, I mean, you know, that's a, a, t- a tough kind of um, situation already and um, we've, we've already spoken about this um, in a previous conversation. So if you are happy to share the, the, the story about your brother, that, you know, that I think that helps to build the, the picture of where Teslom is today. Yeah, I share this story because I, um, there's families that go through it every single day, and I think it's like something that people don't like to be tarnished with. And I, I, you know, from me doing podcasts and talking to people and being quite open and transparent about it, I know I've helped people. I've literally been to, spoken to people who've really helped them. So it's very tough for me to talk about. But my brother got an addiction to cocaine, um, and and he also had mental health challenges. Before, you know, around all that scenario. Um, it happened, for, I think, a few years before 2018. Um, and he, things started happening, his parents changed, his demeanor changed, coming to work late, you know, not doing his job properly. Um, all the money problems all started happening for a couple, couple of years before 2018. And we were still growing the business. We we're doing really well, franchising was getting bigger. Um, I was learning a lot about that. We were getting really successful, and Tom was fully working. You couldn't tell he was just completely fl- fully fledged, cracking on doing his job and stuff. But cracks were starting to surface. Um, I'd say for about two years up to build up, it started getting worse. And in the last twelve months, it was getting insane. You know, drug dealers turning up at the office and um, having to pay money off, and you know, bad days and disappearing and stuff like that, and problems with girls and all that sort of stuff I had to deal with um, as well as run the business and mum was still taking dad to Clarebridge. My dad had 12 operations this time. He was getting severely worse into a wheelchair and all them that was going on at the same time parallel. And then um, um, October 2018, I sort of, Tom, after so many problems, you know, money-wise, we managed, I managed to stay one day. He actually ran out of fuel at a cross junction in Southport one day and I went and met him and then he was just a mess. So we had to move his car and push it over. We went and fueled his car up and I just said, listen, mate, this is it. We can't keep doing this. And mate, there's been multiple days like this, lots of days like this. This is just the one, this is just the final part of it. So I took the car off him. I got a ballot around, cleaned his car out because that was a mess. Took his bank card off him. I changed his phone number. And then he sort of put him under house arrest at mum and dad's. Um, so I was, I was working, taking him to the gym every day, taking him to the cinema and stuff every day. And, and then... Um, and then one, my mum was going to take dad on one last holiday and it was his birthday on the 16th of October. So she arranged flights to Italy for, for the weekend or a couple of days. And I was like, mum, just get a taxi because um, Tom will just disappear that day. And if you've ever been around an addict, it's very manipulative. And they were flying early morning. Mum was petrified about dad, you know, not getting close enough to the airport, being in a wheelchair. It's quite difficult. He's a big guy, six forward like me. So Tom said, I'll take you. And I didn't know this was happening. I was at home asleep. And then Tom took mum to the airport and then pinched the car basically all day. Went off the radar. And I had him on family friends, you know, on my phone. And I'd been keeping in touch with him every day and taking him to the gym and cinema and shopping whilst working. And then he disappeared all day. I couldn't find him. And then about 10 o'clock that night, um, I went round to the house because I hadn't heard from him all day. And I thought, I better go round because mum's got dog and cats. Let them out. Make sure the house is locked up and stuff. Yeah. And the house wasn't. Um, there was wrapping paper from gym clothes had bought him. So he'd obviously been home at some point because he'd been home, got the delivery and put the clothes on. And there was remnants of drinks and drugs in the house. So I thought, fucking hell. So I let the cat and the dog out, tidied the house up a bit and then left. And as I was driving out the street, mum's car came in the other end of the street. So I reversed back up. This is like 11 o'clock by then. And I had about five gin and tonics at home. I shouldn't have drove anywhere. Um, and we had a fucking blazing argument, massive argument in my dad's house. Um, managed to sort it out in the end. And then my missus ringing me saying, can, can you come home? So I left Tom and then, um, you know, I spoke to him on text a little bit. And then and then, and then the next day I had a fucking huge franchise meeting in the office. Um, I remember the time, it was 10.23 exactly. And I left, just walked out of the meeting. I just left everyone abandoned and went to the house and opened the front door at mum and dad's house. And there's like a, a cream carpet with maroon patches in it that was at mum's and I always remember it. And 
I opened the front door and I thought, what the fuck's this rug doing at the bottom of the stairs? Um, and I was like, I can't figure that out. So I walked a bit closer. It was actually my brother's legs. And he had shorts on from the gym stuff I bought him. And he was, he was dead. He'd hung himself. The rope had snapped and the blood had congealed in his legs. And um, yeah, so... Yeah, I hugged Tom at the bottom of the stairs and called the paramedics and then rang my missus, told her, and then had to do the awful call of bringing my mum in Italy. Uh, told her where she was. And then that, that, that's the story with Tom, yeah. And that's that's what happened with Tom. So Tom killed himself, yeah. I mean, it's it's a it's an it's an un- unbelievable story for many, and 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 maybe that it it feels like that because not many people talk about it. So thank you so much for 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 sharing that story with us. Um, People might say like, "What did you do to do, you know prevent it and stuff?" I had no idea. Tom was laughing and joking all the time, and I have tried my hardest to go to the same to rehab, get in touch with people. We did so fucking much, but it, what love isn't enough. Um, when someone's got an addiction like that and you can't be told you can't tell them so no yeah it's an epic hard time mate because i had to ring the coroners the next day and make sure they didn't take tom Foley to the morgue so when i picked them up from manchester airport and then took her the next day to the hospital for one seat on i mean it, it must have been tough for you not having your your close family nearby you as well to to, to go through that with you because I mean, yeah. that, that's a yeah. that's a big sh- well, a, a shock I couldn't imagine um, go, going through. You know, discovering your your brother in that way. Um, so, ha- I, I know now you're you're um, a champion for for mental health. But ha- how did you kind of get through that? How did you process it? What? So I mean, the first steps was I went into work and told everyone. So I had to go and work the next day and tell everyone, um, which is tough, and then. I just said, look, you're going to have to a couple of weeks. And I immediately knew that I needed to do something because I'd been suffering with dealing with Tom for two years. At the same time, I'd had a, we'd had, we'd had, I just had a baby and we, my missus was pregnant as well. And then she had another baby in December. So Tom died in October and we had a second child in December. So I knew that I needed to do something because otherwise I was going to probably end up being to the bottle gin every night and being a fucking complete mess. But I can't do that. Not fair, is it, you see? So... And I started counselling. I, I went and rang and found a Greek counsellor. And Mrs. actually cut her hair. So she got in touch with the Greek counsellor and she's she done all sorts of stuff, this counsellor. And then I started looking like holistic stuff. I actually started taking up yoga, um, exercising, watching what I was dying. I quit drinking immediately. I never drank for like 18 months after Tom died. And um, started looking at loads of different holistic stuff just to calm my mind. Did start doing breathing and breath work. Um, and that, that's how I'm still not over it. I still have bad days. And like I said to you, obviously, my dad, but I've booked in my counselor first thing in the morning, tomorrow morning, because I just know that after doing this, and, and then also seeing my dad today, that I'll be in a bad place. Yeah. So my brother's birthday next month as well. So that doesn't, that's that starts to tick in as well. It's, um, it, 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 you, it, you know, it's a massive um, respect to you, and, 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 and there's a massive amount of, mental strength that you've had to 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 show and 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 go and you know um bring to the table to get through this and to support a family with a new child um mm-hmm. and you know and continue working as well um you know I, I i'm starting to feel a bit kind of emotional myself now thinking about it because i'm thinking about my own own life and um you know my sister died of cancer when she was um very young as well so she was um, two years younger than me and had a uh, hip cancer. And I've not really shared this with anybody too much before because I find it difficult to talk about. And the fact that going through counselling as well, it's got this um, this stigma around it, right? So mm. I, I did it a, a little bit grudgingly because I, I thought, you know, I'll get tired with this strange brush. But actually, it did help me through it. And the the, the main thing that you know, I think about is um, the, the counsellor told me that there's going to be bad days, right? And they're going to be really powerful and really strong at the beginning. They won't ever go away. It will just be that they're they're not as often and maybe not as as powerful as they are then. So, um, yeah. I, I mean, think, it, mate, you just got to be aware that you don't project, and that's what I always I'm very aware of because I can be quite sarcastic and I can be very angry, um, and I'm a big guy. You know, 19 stone, six foot three, you know, like 
I need to be very careful that I don't rip into someone because I'm projecting. And, and I think that's what a lot of people need to be very careful of is being aware and keeping that self-caring and giving yourself pockets of time to keep in touch with yourself so you don't, so you can process and be a good dad and be a good employer and dad and all and things. That's what I try and promote myself. It doesn't always work and I don't always get it right. Yeah. But I try. Um, that's, that's the thing, isn't it? it? It's, it's, it's trying to, to, to do the right thing and, and, and have the right approach to everything. Um, but let's, let's move on from, from this to kind of, um, Teslom now, because obviously at this point it was 24 seven, right? And, uh, um, yeah, so we're 24 seven professional health and it's quite a generic name now. And I, I, I it was, I was always wanting to do social media a bit better for 24 seven but the way we looked we wore all suits and ties and we looked very corporate all the worlds were magnolia and a typical office environment um and come from a corporate background myself in car sales and wore a suit every day and all that and i've seen a, at the same time this was happening i'd seen a friend liam called wise up he created a company called wise up he was in recruitment became an addict and then we created a new company called wise up with his friend mark but their social media is fantastic. If you follow on Instagram, it's just wise up official. Um, yeah. And I said to him, Liam said, who's taught you how to do social media? And he said, there's a branding agency called Tim Barnum in Bolton. So I had approached him and I can't get my dates right. It was either before or after Tom died. I think it was after, but I can't remember because I was like, because me and mum had an option, what the fuck do we do? Because we could have sold the business easy. It's fantastic. The accounts are amazing. It could have easily sold. You can't remember my mum started when she was 56. Yeah, yeah. mum started the business when she's 56. She still works here every day. She's in today. Yeah, she's 69. Yeah. And yeah. she got she's still got the same energy or more? Oh, yeah. I mean, she brings on most people in the business now. Yeah. So um so we were like, what we're gonna do? Mum was like, I don't want to retire. And I was like, Mum, I can't work for anyone. So let's crack on. So we rebranded. So when we, we went to see Tim and he was like, Question, what you wanna say to me? doesn't fit under 247 Professional Health. And what had also happened, a couple of other companies have sprung up called 247 and it caused difficulties with clients and invoicing and stuff like that. And I was like, this is time to do a change. We had quite a few franchises then. So um, we, I, we we created Teslom. So Teslom in the corporate world stands for transparency, equality, zealous, loyalty, organic and motivation. Um, but my brother is called Tom and my dad's called Les. Yeah, that's nice. So then um, I had to go and sell that to all the franchisees. I had to rebrand the whole company, photo shoots, because I don't have any, I don't have any um, stock images in any of the artwork. I don't believe in stock images. That's just my personal preference. Okay, but I think if you're going to have a business about people, you should have people in the business. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Ag agreed completely. So, <laughs> so, 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 so how how did the um, the franchisees take the the rebrand? Yeah, I'm not going to lie to you. Some of them didn't like it. And we, we, we lost one along the way um, because of it. Um, but then the rest of them well on board, fully understood it. Got to remember the son of me and my brother as well. So like, they, were, they were all on board with it and understood what we needed to do to look better. And they were facing the same problem as us with other companies called 247. And then the way we wanted to do it and the way we wanted to work. So yeah, it was probably, it took about 12 months to roll out. Um, and with, well, two years fully fledged, um, but yeah. Yeah. I can I can imagine it's tough for somebody who's maybe bought into a brand and a business, and then it, it, the face of it changes. But I think um, I think you're right completely in in that, especially in so the world of social media, it needs to be more people led. I'm more you hear the word all the time from marketers, but more authentic and using those stock images. Um, yeah. <laughs> do you ever stop and look at an advert that has a stock image on it? So the reason why I wanted to do social media is we supply the care industry, don't we? Yeah. So um, the people who do the job, the carers and support workers, but it's trying to bring them to the forefront of your business. If you check our YouTube channel out, we bring the people in and we get feedback from all our clients and the staff that we send in and we'll pop in and go and see them on shifts and stuff. And when we get a couple of good ones and we do really well, we'll reward them. So we give them some vouchers and we give them an award and we ask them to pop in and we just ask them to tell their story so that they can, you know, get a little mini one minute podcast on what they're what they've done before in the past and get, you know, show a bit of recognition. 
And that's what I like to do with the, with the workers because it's hard. You've got 200 agency staff to keep on top of it, but we try and do it. We've got 10 videos this week, actually. So. Yeah, that's, that's that's cool. And um, I, I was looking for, for your website, actually, and you, you said that um, one of the, the main things that you look for in employees, agency staff, whatever it is, is people that, that care for, care about people, which yeah. I thought actually was really powerful. Um, but I, I always, I'm a bit of a skeptic at times. So yeah. how, how do you make sure that you do that? How do you make sure that you, you're bringing on and only working with people that that care for others, you know, or at least... Well, um, I mean, the, the good thing about head office is we've got a team that have been with us years. Most of them have been with us the whole time, you know, Alison's 10 years, Johnny's 10 years, and we, we work in the business. The, the, the doors are always open and we, we're not like in hierarchy. We just have the same floor and we all know each other. So we've trained them from day one, so they know how we go for that gut feeling. We have quite a robust application form as well. And process to go through so you get the legal side of it sorted and then you go for that gut feeling and getting the right people that you want to work in the business but then also we're an agency work it's difficult to keep on top of that because you're not formally employing them they're not working in this room they're working one of our clients but if you speak to your clients get feedback and find out a bit about them genuinely you, you'll get booked straight away back and that's how that's how we look that's how we work it yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know from my own experience, even when you interview people, it's not that easy to get it right every single time, is it right? No, no, it's impossible. And then with the franchisees, I do the same thing. I just try and make sure I get the same people on my page. Yeah. yeah. So, so where, where do you normally look for your, your, your franchisees? We just advertise on all the usual franchise websites and, and wait for the leads to come in. And um, I always... We have a process of, you know, Zoe will speak to them, I'll chat with them, she'll get a good book feeling from find them out and then I'll speak to them and then we'll do a discovery there. Okay. So I've not really kind of covered this on, on the on a podcast. So what's what's a discovery day for people that might not know what it is? It's, it's basically but our our version of discovery day is come to the office and have a chat, see the whites of each other's eyes and find out what, what they're after, what the what the what the why is, why do they want to do it? You know, why do they want to get involved in this business? And then we talk about how we work the business. And I just sit them with different people throughout the company who do different tasks so they can see exactly what the business entails. That's what that's what our discovery days are. I don't know what else is that, but that's what ours are. Yeah, I guess I guess that um gives the person the opportunity or or your staff the opportunity to see if that franchise partner or the particular prospect is um well, you get, you get the best of all worlds. The franchisee gets to see what the business is, and then all my staff have worked for years, they'll say well, yeah, or that's you know what I mean. It's like a double whammy. So yeah. that's that's what I, I don't I like I said I've never worked for anyone else, man. So I don't know. That's what I did. <laughs> I didn't call it discovery. I just call it a meeting. But then one day I found out that's what franchisee people call it. So I just called it that. Yeah. There's no, there's no. I'm sorry, man. There's no uh, logic in my heart. Just that's the way it is. <laughs> no, I, I love it. It makes sense. But I mean, I, I'd, I'd question why you called it a discovery day because why why stick to, to follow other people's. Uh, uh, sort of I just, I just way, but... everyone that you do a pitch to or they've been looking at the franchise like can we do a discovery day I was like what is a discovery day and then I just started well I'll just call it discovery day <laughs> <laughs> I mean a meeting that's what you mean yeah, yeah. come and meet us meet, meet yeah. I, 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 the company I work for we call them meet the team because yeah. I, I prefer I prefer that like that's what it is right <laughs> just meet us and find out what the hell is going on because yeah. you both, you know, the franchises, you, you know, you become good friends. You know, like I, I'm, I'm quite friendly with most of my franchisees. And you go through an emotional roller coaster. I'm the sounding board. I'm the guy that they moan to. I'm the guy that talks them around. They've got other team members who do the process parts of the business. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think um, I've, I've spoken about it lots in the past, but I think anybody that you bring on board has got to get on with you and your team at the end of the day because it's this long-term partnership that you're entering into and guess what you're going to have arguments you're going to not agree on everything all the time but it's can you work through that together right and I, I'm, I'm asking you now do, do you experience that do you have difficult oh, yeah, moments that... I mean I'm not lying to you I mean like yeah of course you do he's, he's, he's talking people around and getting to see it on Norway and then also getting to see their point of view and because you, you've got to find happy medium sometimes, haven't you? So. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, um, what's what's the business looking like today? How how's it doing? Uh, sort of 
well, I guess not post-COVID, but during COVID yeah. and during a pandemic. Well, we've done, we've opened two franchises in the pandemic. Uh, we've opened two. We've managed, I've never, so never been to a franchise expo before, ever. I went yeah. to the franchise expo before COVID came in and I had no idea that you could get funding from the bank to buy a franchise. No, no one told me, so I had no idea. So <laughs> I went to the franchise expo, met Natasha and created a relationship with them, got all the accounts from all the franchisees, gave them our accounts, talked them through the business plan, and now we've secured funding. So if anyone wants to buy a franchise, they can get up to 50% of the working capital and the um, the amount of the capital to buy it. So I did that in lockdown. Uh, we opened a, a new CRM system. I got some advice from someone and opened the CRM system, um, which has worked really. We had a CRM anyway, but I wanted a slightly better one. Yeah. Got a mobile phone app. Um, with Rocket Software and got mobile phone app, and that they do both the CRM. We changed the payroll company. <laughs> <laughs> we, all in all in lockdown, and then we started doing more marketing. Like I say, we've got we've probably got um, we've got one two deposits down to start the next two months. I've got I did another discovery day yesterday. They're speaking to Atashi, and I've got another one tomorrow. That's it, and and um, that 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 funding, that franchise funding, is something that not many people know about at all outside the franchising world so don't 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 feel bad that you didn't i only found out about it a couple of years ago myself but it's not just uh hitachi why, why you know, don't they, why don't they go to schools and universities with franchising like i heard this guy called sean goldsmith from working a minute they're going to help me take the test on global and um, we're talking about taking geo first um and he i heard him on clubhouse and he was talking and he said Instead of buying the kids a car at 18, buying a franchise. I just yeah. thought it's such a good idea. Because like if I'd had a franchise when I'd left college or not gone to college and not a franchise, I'd be a different person now. Do you know what I mean I'm I'm still doing all right? Like but imagine if I'd got like a I don't know, a jet wash franchise or a do you know what I mean? Or whatever I'd gone into, found something that I liked that didn't cost millions of pounds and gone into that that five year, ten year period of learning how to run a business would have been a massive, wouldn't it? Yeah, same here. I mean, um, not that my family were necessarily in the financial place to do so, but I mean, instead of me putting up marquees for eight years, I could have been mowing lawns for eight years and <laughs> building a business empire. Yeah. There's a marquee franchise, isn't there? About I've seen that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've, I've already, I've already had a chat with um, with yeah. Ian already. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure. I like the general public anymore. <laughs> <laughs> If I'm completely honest, I quite enjoy, uh, yeah, you know, marketing the creative side and chatting to people like this, you know. So, uh, yeah, slightly different. And I think my uh, my body's slowly starting to ache more and more. And it's a, uh, yeah, it's not for me. But yeah, I mean, there's a franchise for everything, right? And if if people knew that you could set up a business doing this, that's you know, you, it's something at least you can save towards and work towards at some point. Um, which I could have done rather than perhaps going out and drinking all the time. But <laughs> I, I don't regret it. But, you know, at least having that option would have been nice, you know. So you're right. Um, there's actually in America, there are um, franchising schools and degrees that you can actually earn to right. either work, you know, learn how to work within a franchise or to become a franchisee yourself one day. It's a whole big academy. They, um, yeah, they came over I'll, to the UK I'll, a little while ago. I've got a close friend who works for Nettle, and they do something like a scholarship. And I was going to tap into that. I've just created an academy myself that's like a, a basically an online ops manual, but with lots of training involved. And the franchisees and the employees can go through an online training course. And I'm just about to put an exam in boss and get it CPD accredited if I can. Um, and then obviously the recruitment qualification as well, try and get that in, in line with it as well. So. But yeah, that that'll be the next one is if you can get someone on academy with a scholarship to become a franchisee. So they don't pay for the franchise, but they pay us back and we train them in house. A bit like um, come and work for us for a little while to become then a franchisee. Don't know, we just have to figure it out. I yeah, I, I think it's a really good option. I mean, you know, you you said you went and did your apprenticeship um, some some time ago. Um, yeah. Imagine if that was towards the end of it, leading towards you owning your own business. No. Yeah, I think with the work ethic that you've got, you'd you'd have had that sooner, you know, maybe yeah, maybe a little bit sooner. So it was a funny one. I did an apprenticeship. My dad bought me a URL, LancashireJoinery.com. It was available at the time, and I created a website, and I was still doing my apprenticeship, and I was taking jobs on for building sites and stuff. 
I couldn't do it. I was just passing on to people left, right, and centre. I was getting all fucking sorts of stuff. It was mad. But yeah. like I said, they'd literally they had quit. It was a funny story. We moved into a flat. Me and my missus, we'd only been together three months, and we she was a hairdresser. She moved into a, a flat above a hairdresser. She didn't have a job at the time. She just walked out of a previous one. We put a CV through the door. She got a job, and the manager of the salon's fellow was the manager of a car garage. I went out of chat with him. I left my van on the car park, and that was it. Never went back for it. Fucking sent it back to finance finance contact. Finance company. That was it. <laughs> went back in car game. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, yeah. So uh, you, you mentioned kind of funny story there. So um, what's been the kind of funniest story that you've had in, in your career so far? Oh, funny story. Or strange or weird or something like this, maybe. Yeah. I, I mean, there's been, I was trying to think, because there's so many mad shit that's happened to me over the years. Like, um, Tazlam's definitely been the weirdest one with my brother and all that episode of learning all that. I think. What's been really nice is, 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 is when I brought this, I started to bring in the yoga and mindfulness and gym memberships for all the staff at head office. So we pay for everyone's gym. We have a yoga teacher that comes in. We have a back massage, sports massage every two weeks in the office. Massage people come to the office and do it. So then it was interesting. We did the massage and out of the team of 16, eight people have never had a massage before. Yeah. Mad that, isn't it? So like, it, it is. So we brought that in. So now we have two lads that come and do sports massage for the whole team every two weeks. We have a yoga structure that comes every month. We do yoga. Then we have gym memberships for everyone. We've had a mindfulness coach. We've had a breathwork coach come in. Um, I'm just arranging. They don't know yet. But a corporate day doing um, cold water therapy. So they're going to go out with a minibus, get into a lake, do some cold water therapy, get back out again. And just all the holistic things that I brought in, that I did for me, I brought into the business. So that's that's something you've picked up obviously in, in over the the challenges that you've had yeah. um but also i think it ties into that that statement earlier of you know you you, you ca- actually care for the people you work for yeah. it goes beyond just giving them you know some discount vouchers or something like this it's yeah, everyone's got that we've got that we've got the blue light card scheme and all that sort of stuff and that's great and, and some yeah. people can't afford to do the things i'm doing but you know that you know and you, you can do little tiny things it don't cost a lot of money but it, it also makes me think, and there's no wonder people have to take calls outside of working hours, mate. Like, you're too busy to get a massage during the <laughs> working day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it, I, I think that's awesome. And I think um, people have to build in time for relaxation, kind of reset their mind so they can work well, harder the and better. Most of them won't be able to do it out of work hours as well. Like Louise and myself, I don't, I've got two kids. Louise's got a young child. To try and, oh, I'm just popping off to go and get a massage. Doesn't really happen that often. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah. doing it in work time, it's a good, you know, 45 minutes of a massage. And yeah. Absolutely. It's amazing. Sounds great. Um, yeah. Sign me up. No. Everyone says that. Everyone says that. No, I've, I've moved away from recruitment. But um, look, um, I appreciate we're kind of coming towards the end of our, our hour here. So, uh, just want to ask you one final question, which is, Anybody who's thinking about buying a franchise for themselves or, or maybe for their kids, you know, for the future, yeah. um, what would be your one piece of advice to them? Um, proper understand what you're getting yourself into because you need to fall in love with it. That's what I'd suggest. doesn't matter because all franchises, as long as they're accredited and good and substantial, they work. So it's just you need to don't follow the romance of running your own business, follow the romance of the business that you're going to be doing because when it gets tough, you need to still love it. You get what I mean? You yeah, understand I, that, You've got to still love it. Yeah, I, th- I think um, whatever you go into, whether it's a, a job, self-employment, starting anything from scratch, there are going to be tough times, right? Even, yeah. uh, for example, I'm, play- I'm learning to play guitar. There's tough times when I just, my fingers just don't work. But yeah. as long as you, you still enjoy it and want to to, to make it happen... You just want to quit and then go and get something else. You can't do that. You've yeah. got to love it and then dig, dig in deep. And, and when I say dig in deep, not a lot of people know how deep you've got to go, but you've got to go deep. <laughs> Perfect. Look, I think that's great advice. So uh, thank you very much for your time, Ryan. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much for sharing your stories with us. And um, yeah, I'm sure Teslom is going to go from strength to strength and, and take over the world. Thanks, mate. Cheers. All right. Cheers, Ryan. Take care. Bye. Thanks, so that's my conversation with Ryan Armitage of Teslom. 
Um, I forgot to mention at the beginning of the podcast that Ryan is a champion for mental health and recruitment. It's the reason, or it's a big part of the reason why he's happy to share his story with us in such an open way. And even so, I think it has taken him a lot of strength to to share this story with people, um, which I, I can only thank him for massively for, for, for doing that on, on this podcast. It also helped me to talk about something quite personal in my life for the first time in, in a long time, really. So thank you to Ryan for that as well. And, and I guess that's the point, really, by sharing these stories, by sharing the challenges that Ryan's been through and maybe that I've also been through, it perhaps can help somebody else to understand that they're not the only person going through this. And, and um, you know, these, these challenges are something that people face on a day-to-day basis. So maybe also go easy on some people as well. So... Anyway, that's that's kind of the the, 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 the part that's away from franchising, I guess. Um, but there was quite a few bits in there that Ryan talked about that I, I'd not really thought about or heard of before. And it was really interesting that he, he said Sean had mentioned to him, Sean Goldsmith had mentioned to him that, you know, instead of buying your child a car for, you know, their 18th birthday or, or, or you know, sending them off to uni or something like this, maybe think about giving them a franchise as a start in life instead. It's quite an interesting concept. And I guess, again, like um, like anything, it's not for everybody, but for some children, for some teenagers, some adults, I guess you would say, really, that's an option that makes sense, right? If, if you had that opportunity yourself, think about it. Where would you be now? Would your role be very different to what it is? Um, that then obviously led on to the conversation about apprenticeships in franchising. And I think this is probably a more realistic routine where franchise companies uh, are thinking nowadays about offering individuals the opportunity to start work within their organisation, build up their experience and knowledge, and then buy into the business and, and pay it off through their salary. I think if you've listened back to the episode with Sarah Taggart, that's pretty much what she did. And now, the financing was slightly different on that business model, but she learned the business, got to know everybody inside the company, knew what worked, what didn't, and then built a very successful business for herself. So plenty of other bits in there as well that I thought were quite amusing, um, but you know, uh, goes to show what sort of organization Teslam is. And, and that was, you know, <laughs> regular massages and, and yoga sessions, all these holistic things for, for their staff. Um, I guess that just ties into the, the, the brand's ethics and values of caring for everybody and to offer that in, in working hours is something I've, I've rarely heard about in, 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 in business world, less than the franchising world. So um, I thought it was really inspiring and interesting as well. So hopefully you've got something from this conversation and um, you've enjoyed it um, and taken away something that's useful for you. So if you did and you enjoyed listening as always um anything you can do to share the podcast um liking subscribing all of that good stuff it's all very much appreciated and we look forward to seeing you on the next one cheers bye bye